0: so today 's sermon is entitled "The Order of Melchizedek," and by a raise of hand, who in here has heard that name Melchizedek okay, so some of you, and it 's new to some of you a uh, strange strange name, but I hope that it will be a memorable one when we wrap up this afternoon you know i've i've been interested in and studying biblical typology for almost 10 years now. And I actually, I remember when I preached my first sermon on biblical typology in 2014 at the Mesquite Seventh-day Adventist Church in Texas. I was studying theology and student pastoring at that church. And then a couple of weeks ago, I preached a sermon here, a message about finding Jesus in Noah's story finding Jesus in Noah's story. And after that message, a number of you reached out to me and asked, do you have any other sermons about finding Jesus in the Old Testament? And so today's sermon is sort of a, a an answer to those of you that asked, and um, there are plenty more <laughs> of these sermons as well. Um, but, you know, In the Old Testament, when you look in the Old Testament, there are four names, four characters who seem to tower above the rest. And the Bible delivers quite detailed accounts concerning the lives of these four individuals. And they are so integral to the Bible story that even though they're Old Testament characters, their names are mentioned over 200 times in the New Testament, so pretty, pretty important. These four men are Abraham, Moses, David, and Elijah. Abraham, Moses, David, and Elijah. And that's the chronological order in which they appear. But they are often grouped together in a different way than this. Usually they're, they're grouped, uh, Abraham and, and David are grouped together because they were both friends of God, as the Bible calls them. And, and God actually, he made eternal covenants which, with each of them concerning their lineage. Then Moses and Elijah go together, and they tend to represent the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets. Historical figures, yes but also archetypal or representative figures. Moses, seen as the lawgiver. David as, is seen as, as a man after God's own heart. Elijah, the, the quintessential prophet. When you think of a prophet, you think of Elijah. These are the big four. But today, today we're gonna focus in on Abraham in our search for Jesus in the Old Testament. Abraham was a colossal figure. I I mean, it's, it's just about impossible to overemphasize his significance. And he's such an important figure in both testaments of the Bible that I could sit up here and probably preach seven sermons about finding Jesus in the story of Abraham. But I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to do one sermon, give you guys a a taste, a little peek. But before we do that, I need to give you a brief summary of the life of Abraham. Now, obviously, for the sake of time, I'm going to have to leave a lot of it out. But I'm going to try to focus on the most important parts. So Genesis 12.1, it says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Now, Abram, Abraham, same person. Abram was his name before God changed it to Abraham. So whenever you see those two names, they are synonymous. It's the same guy. Now, the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham, he was born in a place called Ur of the Chaldees. Now, some translations might say Ur of the Chaldeans. And this might seem like an obscure place today, because now it's just ruined, that's, that's all that's there. But 4,000 years ago, Ur was mo- one of the most advanced and sophisticated cities in all the world, in all the world. I've seen some pictures of art from that period that have been displayed in the British Museum. And if you have a chance to look that up, to get on Google and look at some of the art from this city, you will realize that these were some very advanced, sophisticated, and cultured people. 4,000 B.C., 6,000 years ago, they had a running sewer system. And by the way, this place, Ur, it's the same place where Babylon then rose from. I find that quite significant. It's around prior to Babylon, but it's the same place where Babylon will arise. And so Abraham's father, Terah, had three sons, Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. Jewish tradition tells us that Terah was an idol maker. And the Bible tells us that Terah worshipped other gods in Joshua 24, Verse two, it says, and Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord God of Israel, your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times and they served other gods. So this was the type of upbringing that Abraham had. He grew up in a land, he grew up in a household that worshiped other gods, yet God, the true God, the creator God, came in and called him to a new life, a different life. Abraham was destined to become the father of faith, a new faith. He was destined to discover the living God and become the father of monotheism, not polytheism. The creator God calls Abraham to come out of Ur of the Chaldeans to go to an unknown land, an unknown land. The voice of God calls on Abraham to leave all that he knows, the security of his city, the comfort of his family and kindred, in order to go venture into a place that isn't even fully detailed to him. This would make me nervous. (laughs) But this is why Abraham is presented over and over and over in scriptures as the father of faith the father of faith. It's why verses like this exist in Galatians 3, 7. Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. There's a call and a promise, and Abraham believes and acts. And so Abraham's mission was to become a pilgrim and a patriarch, a pilgrim and a patriarch. He was a pilgrim on a journey of faith and a patriarch because he's going to father a new family, an entire family of faith. All right, so he begins as a pilgrim. He's got to find a way to this quote-unquote promised land And he leaves the land of Ur and eventually he makes it all the way to the promised land, the land of Canaan. And as his first steps into the land of Canaan, they, they would have come from the north at the city of Dan. Now, if you're familiar with geography, if you're familiar with maps, this was quite a journey and quite a challenge of faith. But the difficulty for Abraham and Sarah, it only grew from there. <laughs> because how were they supposed to be a family of faith, to have a family of faith that would bless the whole world if Sarah was barren? How's that gonna happen? Because that meant there were no children to come. Yet the entire promise from God about this family hinged on their ability to have children, to have a lineage. So in Genesis twenty-two eighteen, 18, God said this to Abraham, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And let me tell you what, this was a long wait for them, a long wait for them. Abraham was 100 years old, Sarah was 90 years old before they saw the promise fulfilled of this, lineage, this seed. In Hebrew, the name Isaac, Yitzach, Yitzach, it means laughter. Because when God told Sarah that she was going to bear a son in her old age, she's like, yeah, yeah, okay. And she laughed about it. So they called the baby laughter. But he was the child of promise. Isaac, Yitzchak, laughter, then becomes the father of Jacob, who will then have his name changed to Israel. And then Jacob is going to have 12 sons who will become the 12 tribes of Israel. So you start with Abraham's faith action and it begins to spread until you end up with the 12 tribes of Israel. And this is the Jewish family of faith destined by God to bless all the nations that come from the seed of Abraham. And yet there's more to come here because the ultimate fulfillment of the Abrahamic blessing is finally realized in a man named Jesus the Christ. Thus, Abraham appears in the very first verse, in the very first book of the New Testament. Matthew 1.1, it says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This is the story that then leads to Jesus being born in Bethlehem. Yet all of that salvation that we know and we hold on to and we cherish, it all started with the faith and the action of Abraham. It's good to know your history. And the apostle Paul, he takes it even further. It's not just that Jesus comes from the Jewish line, which begins with Abraham. No, Paul... He takes it further. And this is just another great example, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, of how the apostles read the Old Testament. For the apostle Paul, Jesus isn't just of the seed of Abraham. Jesus is the seed promised to Abraham. Thus, Jesus is Israel in person. And Paul says it like this in Galatians 3.16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say and to seeds as of many, but as of one. And to your seed, capital S, who is Christ. All the promises of God are fulfilled in Jesus. I'm going to say that again. All the promises of God are fulfilled in Jesus. And once you hear that, once you understand that truth, the Bible opens up in a brand new way. Finding Jesus in the Old Testament. Now, concerning this specific promise, you could also say it this way. Jesus is how God kept his promise to Abraham to bless all the nations. God called Abraham to follow him into a place unknown. God said, Hey, if you follow me in faith, I will bless you, and through your seed, I will bless the entire world. The entire world. And Paul says, Wait a second. I know who that seed is. That seed is Jesus Christ. We're finding Jesus in the Old Testament, specifically finding him in Abraham's story. And and we as Gentiles, and I apologize if if we have anybody of Jewish descent in here, but I I think that most of us are, are Gentiles. And we as Gentiles are now partakers of Abraham's seed because of Jesus Christ. Now, as I mentioned earlier... There are numerous episodes in this drama where we can find Jesus in the life of Abraham. But there's just two more, just two more that I want to focus on today. And the first one of those two is found in Genesis 14. Verse 17, it says, and the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley, after his return from the defeat of Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him. Now, for the sake of ease, are you all okay with me just continuing to refer to this king as King Cheddar? Is that that okay? I'm just gonna refer to him as King Cheddar. So after his return from the defeat of King Cheddar and those kings that were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet Abraham in the valley of Shaveh. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he, Abraham, gave him, Melchizedek, a tithe of all. Now, that's just four verses, four verses right here. But there's a lot here. There's a lot packed in to these four verses. But we need a little bit of context once again. So here's here's the the short story here. Abraham's nephew, Lot, he was always getting into messes. (laughs) Lot was always getting into messes. And on this particular occasion, this particular mess, He got himself kidnapped by King Cheddar and he was taken away to the city of Dan. And it is funny, isn't it? (laughs) And so by this time in his life, Abraham, he is living all the way down south in Hebron. But he says, well, I mean, I guess I gotta go save my nephew. (laughs) I guess I gotta go do this thing. And so he gathers men and they go and they rescue Lot. And now, And these verses I just read, they're they're coming back to Hebron and they come to a place called the Valley of Shaveh, which is also called the King's Valley. In the New Testament, it's referred to as the Kidron Valley. Geographically speaking, if you're heading south on the Kidron Valley, on your right is Jerusalem and on your left is the Mount of Olives. And while Abraham is going through the valley, the king of the city up there, which is called Salem, later known as Jerusalem, he comes out. Now, this is the first appearance of Jerusalem in the Bible. And as many of you are aware, Jerusalem is a pretty important city in the Bible story. Pretty important. This is the first time it, it, it pops up. And so, in its first mention, is this King who's also a priest, a king who's also a priest. He's two things, a king and a priest. He's the king of Salem. He's the priest of the most high God. And he comes to Abraham and he offers him bread and wine. And this mysterious man has this wild name, Melchizedek, Melchizedek. On the slopes of Jerusalem comes this mysterious man who's both king and priests. and he offers Abraham bread and wine. Then he blesses Abraham because he's greater than Abraham. But wait a minute. Abraham is blessed by the most high God. Abraham is the one who's gonna bring the blessing to the entire world. Abraham is blessed, blessed, blessed. Yet Melchizedek is greater than he is. Melchizedek blessed Abraham and Abraham responds by saying, wait a minute, hold on. I need to get a 10th of all that I have and I need to give it to you. And this right here is the beginning of tithing. This is where it comes from. Now later, the practice is spelled out some more in the law of Moses and it's in the prophets and it's practiced by Israel and Jesus does it and the apostles did it, and it's traveled down through the generations, and we still do it today. But this is where it started. This is where it began, the story of Abraham and Melchizedek. Now, these four short verses that I've read, it's all there is in the Old Testament concerning Melchizedek. That's it. But in the New Testament, there's an entire chapter An entire chapter talking about this mysterious person, Melchizedek, and I believe that it's worth looking at now. Now, we're not going to look at the whole chapter today, but I want to look at some key verses. And those start at the end of Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. Where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now let's stop right there. There are a lot of themes in the book of Hebrews. One of the themes, though, is that Jesus is greater than everything. Jesus is greater than everything. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than Abraham. Jesus is greater than the law. Jesus is greater than angels. Jesus is greater than everything, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. But another theme in there is that Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is our high priest. Here's the problem though. Priests come from the tribe of Levi. Was Jesus from the tribe of Levi? No, he's a a lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus comes from the tribe of Judah. Kings come, biblically speaking, kings come from Judah. Priests come from Levi. But the writer of Hebrews says, well, of course Jesus is our king, but he's also our priest." How can that be? How is he gonna be our priest because he doesn't come from the line of Levi? The writer of Hebrews says, I'll tell you how, I'll tell you how. He's a priest not according to the order of Levi, but he's a priest according to the order of, then there comes this strange name again, Melchizedek. And then he continues into chapter seven. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And then Abraham gathered a 10th of all that he had, and he tithed it to Melchizedek. Melchizedek's name in the first place, it means king of righteousness, king of righteousness. Next, he's also the king of Salem, which is related to the Hebrew word shalom, shalom. He's the king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, having neither a beginning of days nor an end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. (laughs) And this story in Genesis 14 about Melchizedek, it seems to just come out of nowhere, just out of nowhere. And and, and it's almost as if the author is expecting us to know who this guy is because he doesn't give us much in Genesis 14. But we know that Melchizedek is a king and a priest. He has no backstory, no conclusion, no genealogy, no record of his death. And the writer of Hebrews looks at this, and you know what he does? He goes, oh, that's because he's eternal. That's because he's from everlasting to everlasting. That's because, in, in, in his terminology, he resembles the alpha and the omega. I'm telling you, these earliest Christians, these apostles, they were just constantly asking, where can I find Jesus in the Old Testament? Where can I find Jesus in the Old Testament? And they, they look at this strange story in Genesis 14 and say, aha, I found him. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. I mean, come on, who, who else could this be? Who else could this possibly be? His name is King of Righteousness. That's Jesus. He's the king of peace, that's Jesus. He's from Jerusalem, he's giving bread and wine, he's greater than Abraham, he must be Jesus. And I'm telling you, these people who wrote the New Testament, they were nuts about Jesus. Nuts about Jesus, they were determined to find him everywhere and to tell everybody that they met how I wish we were all the same. Because I know I'm here for all this Jesus talk. (laughs) I'm here for it. So, Jesus is the promised seed of Abraham, blessing the world. Then, Jesus is also foreshadowed in this mysterious person of king and priest Melchizedek, who blesses Abraham. And finally, we find Jesus in Abraham's lifelong quest. Do you realize that Abraham never settled? He never settled. He was always on the move. He goes from Ur to Haran to Dan to Beersheba, and then he does make it to the promised land. He makes it to the land of Canaan, but he doesn't stay put. He's in the north, he's in the south, he's over in the east, he's in the west. He's always moving around. Abraham was looking for something. Abraham was a man searching for something specific. Something specific. And then 2,000 years later, Jesus, seed of Abraham, is teaching in Jerusalem where Melchizedek was from, and he gets into a dispute with some of the Judeans concerning Abraham and about who truly is a son of Abraham. And Jesus says this in John eight fifty six: your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. Now remember, Jesus is far removed from Abraham's day, right? Jesus was 2,000 years afterwards Jesus was as far removed from Abraham as we are removed from Jesus. But he says he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And then they tried to stone him. (laughs) They tried to stone Jesus. But before Abraham was, Jesus is the eternal I am. So Jesus is what Abraham was looking for his entire life. His entire life, that promise, that seed. Now he didn't know that it was Jesus in the way that we know it, but he caught prophetic glimpses of what it could be, what it might look like who this person might be like, and it thrilled his soul. And he longed for it every day of his life. But the beautiful thing is this. Abraham encountered Christ on multiple occasions throughout his life. Abraham encountered Jesus as the voice that called him out of Ur into the land of Canaan, And in the meeting of Melchizedek, king of righteousness, who gave him bread and wine. And he met him in one of the trinity of strangers that Abraham fed outside of his tents by the terebinth tree. And in the smoking oven and the burning torch that passed between the pieces when the covenant was cut and in the ram caught in the thicket at the foot of Mount Moriah when he was to offer up his son. You see, Jesus was no liar when he said, Before Abraham was, I am. And then we find this in Hebrews 11. Jesus is that one building, that one foundation that Abraham was looking for. And he may not have been able to articulate it clearly, but what he was looking for was what Jesus called the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. He was looking for the kingdom of heaven, the new Jerusalem, the city of the Lamb. And this is why he kept going, because he had it in his heart and he wasn't going to give up until he found it. He could only see it by faith from afar because it wasn't under construction yet. As Paul talks about the seed, the fulfillment of the seed, it hadn't come yet. Jesus wasn't born yet. The work in earnest hadn't begun, but now the church is here in anticipation of that kingdom. That's why we're here, y'all. That's what we're about. And the question for us this morning is, will we choose to be people of faith? Will we choose to be people of faith? Are we looking forward to the future promised home? And are we seeing Jesus in our daily lives? Are we close enough to Jesus that that we see him in our successes and our failures, our good days and our bad days, our joys and in our sorrows, because we're told he will never leave us nor forsake us. Do we, through faith, believe it to be true? Do we live it? Do we share it? If it is your desire to have the faith of Abraham and to meet Jesus at every step of your life, then I'm just gonna ask you to stand with me as we take this request to God. I want to have the faith of Abraham. I want the vision to see Jesus in my life every single day. And I'm also gonna invite Brandon Tazitsky to come forward and stand at the foot of the steps as our elder in charge today. After the benediction, you who wish can be dismissed. But Brandon and myself, I'll step down over here. We're gonna stick around. If anybody here has any special needs, any special requests, we would love to talk with you. We would love to take those petitions to the throne of God. Let us pray. Our loving, gracious, heavenly Father, Lord, as we we look at these people from the Old Testament and the faith that they had and the promises that you gave, though they never lived to see them fully fulfilled. Lord, we're in awe. We're blown away. Sometimes we can't even handle uh, feeling like we don't get an answer from you in the next hour. Abraham waited his entire life searching for that city, searching for that place he could call home a forever home whose building and foundation were put together by you, oh God. Lord, we want that kind of faith. Lord, we want to experience that sort of relationship with you to the point that we see Jesus every single day of our life. Lord, give us that faith. Lord, give us that vision. Give us that desire to seek after Jesus and to live as if we believe he is our savior and to share it with others. Lord, in the meantime, you have given us a task. We are supposed to help spread your kingdom. And so we ask for your spirit now. And as we leave this place this afternoon, we pray that we leave here changed because we spent time with each other, we spent time with you, and we've accepted your spirit into our lives. And we ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.